Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Rhode Island Senator Jack Reed has been in the U.S. Senate for more than 25 years. Over that time, he's risen to become chairman of the Armed Services Committee and a member of the powerful Appropriations Committee. He's joining us today to talk about the war in Ukraine, a new drug threat, and the recently opened train station in Pawtucket. Our conversation after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with U.S. Senator Jack Reed. Thank you for joining us, Senator. Thanks, Ed. It's a pleasure. I want to talk to you about your trip to Ukraine, but first, tell us about the train trip you're about to take this morning to Pawtucket. Well, this is great for the city of Pawtucket and the state of Rhode Island and the city of Central Falls. Uh, We're opening up a new train station. It'll help uh, the commute, make it more attractive to uh, a lot of uh, Rhode Islanders and people from Massachusetts, too. I started probably 20 years ago, uh, trying to figure out what to do with the old Pawtucket train station, getting them grants. And then over the years, we've put significant money at, but roughly two-thirds of the funding is federal funding. So we've contributed a lot. But I must commend Mayor Grebian and Mayor Riviera, who've done a superb job. This is going to be an economic engine for Pawtucket and Central Falls. You can already see the property being acquired, some of the old factories being fixed up, and this is going to be a real engine for economic growth. And you mentioned how far this goes back. I mean, didn't it start with, like, former Pawtucket Mayor James Doyle? It started with Mayor Doyle. I can remember a wonderful man, by the way, I should point out. But I remember walking around the old train station, which is still sitting there, desperately trying to figure out the mayor, what to do with it, convert it in. Can we make another stop? Can we convert it into offices or some type of mall? And it just... We tried different things. It didn't work. And the decision, I think, correctly was to build a new station at this location, and it'll be more attractive and it'll stimulate development. So, uh, Now let's talk about another trip, the one you took recently to uh, Ukraine. I understand you met with Ukrainian President Zelensky. What message did you deliver to him? Well, to him personally was profound gratitude by the United States, Rhode Island, and the world for the courage and example and inspiration 
you know, he could have easily sort of snuck away as others have done in the past. But he said memorably, you know, don't get me a ride, give me ammunition. And uh, that's what he's been persistently throughout. So he's become the symbol for the people of Ukraine who are incredibly courageous and valiant and suffering severely. So it was appreciation and also a sense of we're with you because we recognize that they're fighting our fight, essentially. Uh, This is not just a, a local dispute. If Putin succeeds here, he'll continue on. His dream is to create an imperial Russia, which would include pieces of all sorts of other countries. And that would also very dramatically involve NATO directly. Yeah, yeah. Tell me more about that. How you, I remember you said that on CNN. How is it our fight? Well, it's our fight because, you know, if you look at history, and particularly if you look at the ambitions that Putin has declared publicly, he wants to create the old Soviet Union but not as a communist state, as a almost czarist state, and he'd be the czar. That would touch upon countries that now, like parts of Poland, he would reclaim. Poland is a member of NATO. Under Article 5 of NATO, if one nation attacked, then we're all in it. And that would mean a, uh, an incredibly dangerous situation. If we can stop them now, and the Ukrainians are doing the heavy fighting for us, thank you, then we can, I think, not only stop Russia's ambitions, but send a signal to the world that free men and women everywhere will resist autocratic regimes like China if they attempt to seize territory uh, illegally. What message did Zelensky, President Zelensky, have for you? The message was, um, we're never going to give up. We're going to take back our country, and we need your help. That is one of the key intangible in any conflict, the will to fight. I mean, we saw in many other areas where people just, you know, we supported them, but ultimately their ability to resist or their willing to resist was not apparent, and we couldn't do it for them. Here, you've got a country that's saying, give us, frankly, like England, uh, give us the tools and we'll fight the fight. It seems like Putin underestimated Zelensky, right? I mean, he, he was a comedian and he, he, he thought they were going to fold. Having met Zelensky, tell us what you made of him. He's a very talented gentleman, but I think, frankly, the, the whole world was surprised uh, because that was the reputation he had. He was a fairly young. He was an entertainer, a comedian. He was, you know, he had been elected overwhelmingly going after corruption in Ukraine, which is still there. But he might even have surprised himself. One of those moments uh, where history calls upon you and he answered. I I saw Senator Lindsey Graham was just over in Ukraine with Senator Whitehouse, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island, and he said, I'm tired of the expletive show surrounding who's going to send tanks and when they're going to send them. Can you explain why tanks are such a fraught topic in this whole discussion? Well, the the key actor here are the Germans because it's their system, the Leopard, and they can govern the disposition of those systems by other countries they've given them to. So they have the last say. And it's a very sensitive political issue. One dynamic is the fact that they're very sensitive to what Putin has been claiming all along, that the Ukrainians are Nazis, that they're going to attack Russia just like the Nazis did. And, you know, there's a thought there. What if, you know, the Ukrainians are operating these German leopard tanks? What's Putin going to say? What, you know, oh, they're from Poland? No. 
He's going to say, oh, look, see, I told you. Hmm. They're Nazis. Here they come again. And within Russia, that is a point of great uh, sensitivity. You know, the, the mother Russia defeated the, the, the Nazis and saved the world, et cetera. You know, that's part of their cultural and historical no, rhetoric. Interesting. So it's like the role Germany saw for itself after World well, War II. Well, that's one thing they're seeing. But then, then there's other dimensions too. I mean, many of these people in Germany say, listen, we're looking beyond this fight to, you know, what happens to Germany uh, and Russia 15 years from now. I mean, do we? Uh, it, it's a politically sensitive issue. It's probably more sensitive than air defense missiles. That's a defensive weapon. A tank is an offensive weapon. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, one thing to be able to, to – we're helping Ukraine defend itself. It's something else that we're giving German tanks, et cetera. So not only the, the difference between offense and defense, but the historic – and I think they're very sensitive and, and properly so about do we want to give Putin more sort of talking points, even though they're completely erroneous. You know, this is not an attack on Russia. This is defense of Ukraine after an attack by the Russians on the Ukrainians. Oh, that's interesting. Germany's foreign minister just this morning said she would not stand in the way of Poland if they were to send German Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. What do you make of that? I think that's great progress. There are internal dynamics in Germany, politics like every place else. But the Germans have, frankly, surprised a lot of people by standing up initially and saying, we're going to be part of this. Once they gave the okay to Poland, that means the Leopard tanks will go in. And at some point, the distinction between a Polish Leopard tank and a German Leopard tank is, doesn't make a difference. So we're now beginning to unlock a lot of um, tanks that could go in. The Poles have them. Spain has Leopard tanks, et cetera. Should the U.S. send over some M1 Abrams tanks if that would end this backlog and the timing of when we're going well, to tanks here, are going to be sent to here's Ukraine? The situation. The, I'm sure the administration is considering that. I'm, you know, that was that's always been an option on the table, and they're trying to convince, persuade not only the Ukrainians but also the Germans and others in NATO that the most efficient thing to do is to move in tanks like the Leopard tank, and one of the reasons you you want one tank is they're easier to sustain. You don't have to have multiple parts. You, you have one set of parts. Uh, you don't have to train Ukrainians on five different pieces of equipment, which is complicated. And also, you, you have a situation where you can provide consistent fuel. You don't have to have different parts of fuel. One of the problems with the Abram tanks is that it operates on jet fuel. Hmm. And as a result, they would have to have an individual supply line for jet fuel, which they don't have uh, robustly at this point. And that's another factor. When we're thinking about what we're doing for the Ukrainians, we have to think not only the impact initially, but how do they sustain this? How do we help them sustain these systems? Back in October, Kevin McCarthy said Republicans would take a hard look at U.S. funding for Ukraine. He said there would be no more blank check. Now that McCarthy's the Speaker of the House, do you expect support for Ukraine to face resistance from House Republicans? Well, unfortunately, there are a few that are don't appreciate the, the magnitude of this effort and the threat to the United States and to the free world. Uh, I don't know 
where they're getting their insights. They're not particularly insightful. What they'll do is they will create a verbal, at least, reaction to aiding the Ukrainians. We were very sensitive, and this is an issue we brought up directly to President Zelensky. We told him, saying, you're going to have to have very good accountability for every piece of equipment that goes in here. Because the thing that will disrupt the flow of equipment faster than anything else would be not using it properly, someone getting it that they shouldn't have it, literally using it to sell, to make money, et cetera. And what they've done is they have adopted the NATO system for accountability of equipment. They are acutely conscious that they have to account for every piece of equipment going in. The United States, our embassy, has a significant section that's devoted to just accountability. And the other reality is, too, they're desperate to save their country. So I don't think they would tolerate anybody seizing equipment and trying to sell it off to make a dollar because that's that's a direct yeah. threat to the men and women on the front line. So all these factors together, they have an incentive and they know they have to be very careful with this equipment. So the, one of the big, I think, uh, arguments they'll make, oh, well, you know, with their waste, we're wasting the equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I don't think that's the case. How worried should we be that Putin would turn to nuclear weapons as an option? We always have to consider that. And we always calculate that threat of escalation. And that's one of the reasons why... We started sort of in an ad hoc way of getting equipment over there. We sent over the stingers and the javelins, which was very easy to get over, relatively speaking. Training is very simple, and you could give them immediately to pass them out to foot soldiers and Ukrainians or soldiers. And so we've gradually come to the point where we know we've got to provide adequate weapons for the Ukrainians not only to resist but to go on the offensive. But every time we make that judgment, there is a very delicate calculation about what is the reaction in Russia. We're using all our intelligence sources to, to look at this issue on a constant basis. Yeah. It's probably slowed us a bit down, but I think we're, the, you know, the, what we've done so far has been, you know, avoided this apocalyptic consequence, yeah, and that's yeah. what we have to consider. Let me ask you about a domestic issue before you go. Drug use. The other day you joined Brown University researchers who reported that 44% of drug samples taken in Rhode Island contain uh, xylazine or trank, Frank. an animal yeah. tranquilizer most often used in horses and cattle. I've read about trank becoming a crisis in Philadelphia, but is it now a crisis in Rhode Island too? Well, what it's good to know is, first of all, Brown University School of Public Health is way ahead of the game. They are looking at these these drugs. They're working closely with the state. They're the ones who blew the whistle, if you will, on Trank, that it's here. We have to be prepared for it. And so forewarned is forearmed. We now know there's other things than fentanyl out there that could be dangerous to people. But this whole explosion of fentanyl use, et cetera, calls for one, uh, more effective enforcement, and we're trying to do that. The police just this weekend arrested two drug dealers, seized thousands and thousands of dollars, a lot of drugs, weapons, because they usually go hand-in-hand, weapons and drug dealing. And we have to do much more of that. And thank goodness we have a very effective police force in the state, both state and local. Then we have to really reach out and treat people who are using drugs so that they don't 
rely upon dealers. There, you know, there's one experiment that Kodak is trying to undertake now that they'll have supervised use of the drugs, gets them off the street, gets treatment, and gets them to a point, these individuals, where they can start thinking seriously about getting off entirely. So there's lots of things we have to do. But uh, yes, this shrink is on the streets. And unfortunately, these folks are very clever. Uh, you know, they'll find something else when just to, to make money. It's, yeah. it's discouraging. You're 73 years old now, and you've been in the Senate for 26 years. How much longer do you plan to serve, and will you run for re-election in 2026? I just work hard every day, and that's my motto. Haven't made a decision yet about 26? No, I'm just trying to get through <laughs> this week and look ahead. No, I, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm extremely privileged to be able to serve the people of Rhode Island. It's not only a great honor, it's also a great responsibility. And so I try to work as hard as I can every day and think about what I can do rather than what I'm going to do in the future. All right, Senator Reed, I know you have to make that train. Thank you for I joining do. us today. Thank you very much, Ed. Thank you. For our reporting on the new Pawtucket Central Falls train station, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Here are some more stories from our team. In this week's Innovators Q&A, Alexa Gagas writes about how spinal taps on infants are grueling for parents and medical teams, but a Providence-based startup may have a solution. Most New England states have a program where you get money back when you return your bottles and cans, but not Rhode Island, and advocates are urging Governor McKee to change that. I have the details. Also, there's a new taqueria in Central Falls, and they have handmade tortillas. Alexa has the details. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor. Follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.